Uh, a few, a number of years ago, they had the greatest collection of monets of Monet, Claude Monet's paintings since his death. They had that at the Art Institute in Chicago. I had a cousin who was a, uh, an art historian and taught college and she lost her walk in fifth grade to polio. I called her up, I said, if you get out there to Chicago, I'll take you to uh, the Art Institute and I'll take you to lunch. She came back to where she lives with a group of people and they said, what did you do today? She said, I went to Chicago for lunch. She also got to see a room, an octagon room with a ton of simply haystacks by Bonet. Could you imagine? And the other things. On the way out and on the way back, I chanced to look up people I hadn't seen since my days in the seminary. There were folks who'd been with me in the seminary, left and got married, so I had a chance to see them and to meet their families, which was delightful. One of the fellows had entered the Navy. He'd done a doctorate and then he taught at Annapolis and uh, he just got married down there. I had been down to Annapolis for their wedding and now he was at the University of Michigan. The, uh, we are the Michigan of the East, so that puts Michigan on the, you get the idea. And so he was there, he was teaching and I got a chance to meet his wife and, and so on and so forth. Now, she volunteered, I don't usually quiz people, she volunteered various number of things about her background. Turned out that she had been a convert. And, uh, which was interesting. And uh, then, uh, and she was talking about things like that. And she said that she, uh, the reason she was a Protestant, and she tried several other Protestant churches. This, by the way, is according to her. I'm make, not making this stuff normative about ecumenism and Christianity. I'm just saying what she said. And she said, uh, I went to different Protestant churches, and the impression I had from each was they were founded in a particular century or a particular country with a particular set of issues, and those were things that were honed to and mentioned most of the time, but, which I'm not sure is all true of all Protestant churches, please. And, uh, but uh, I, I went to the Catholic Church, I tried that and I liked it because it seemed to me it had things from every century, treasures from every century, all kinds of different spiritualities and so on. And the other thing was that the Catholic Church remained, for all those differences, for all that diversity, that the Catholic Church worked at remaining one. Now in the midst of that, you would say to yourself, what could possibly go wrong? What could possibly go wrong? And certainly wouldn't have people defeating us in our own hands. But sure enough, she was told by Catholics in the church parish she went to in Ann Arbor that she wasn't really Catholic. And of course she'd been received in at Ann Arbor in the local parish, Catholic parish. And uh, so she, in a sense, knew she was Catholic, but she's new, so she doesn't really know that. She's all worried. And so they tell her they happen to be charismatic Catholics. The charismatic movement, which has done a lot of good, began in Ann Arbor, it's per people's perfect right to be charismatic Catholic Christian. And, uh, but they told her that she had to be that unless she was charismatic, she was not Catholic. Unless she was charismatic, she wasn't Christian or a Catholic Christian. And so she was puzzled, worried, concerned about this as anyone would be. She had the background to know if it was hogwash or not. And so she, uh, she had the wisdom to call the priest who received her in, in Annapolis. And the priest said to her, he happened to be an Opus Dei priest, they were running to the parish, and he happened to say to her what you would wish any Catholic priest would say to someone in a situation like that, facing such nonsense. That they're trying to give you the best they know. That this works very well for them. But you don't have to do it, it's not normative, it's not required. So they're trying to give you the best they know, it works for them, but you're not required to do it, and even if you don't engage in that, you're still a Catholic Christian. Now we've all run into people who've gone down rabbit holes in terms of other things. We all know the merit of sticking together, particularly as Catholic Christians. It's one of the whole arts of the church, you might say. And you'd think it just began in Ann Arbor? I think not. 
because here we are as we think of the Council of Jerusalem, we're just taking a snippet. So Doug really had to read Acts 15 to get the whole of it. But in the Acts of the Apostles, half of which is about Peter, half of it about Paul, and it's written by that marvelous evangelist Luke. What a master. In Acts 15, it talks about what's called, in retrospect, the Council of Jerusalem, where people were telling, telling the new converts that Paul was making that they had to become Jews first and Christians second. And they could only become Christians by way of becoming Jews first. Some of the opening line of uh, the 15th chapter, it then skips ahead to verse 22 to 29. Some who had come down from Judea were instructing the brothers, unless you were circumcised according to Mosaic practice, you could not be saved. You've heard of people before surgery trying to get another opinion. I'm sure the people then were trying to get another opinion. And so were Paul and Barnabas. And so they, they did not dis decide sua sponte on their own, but they went back to think with the church. It used to be a phrase we used all the time. Somehow it seems forgotten. You, know, you listen to the Pope, you listen to the bishop, and you think with the church together. And so they went back to talk it over with the apostles to present the problem and, and decide it together. And so they, they went back to them. And so Judas and Silas were sent and carried the message of what was decided. It is the decision of the Holy Spirit and ours as well, not to place on you any burden beyond these necessities. Then it gives the specific decision. So if you think of it, that was a, a difficulty from the beginning of the church and it arises from time to time ever after. And it requires us to also to have enough nous, enough um, to sort things out and to make distinctions. All of life is a matter of figuring things out, making distinctions. We were in Rome, we used to have a thing, we had orals, and uh, they would divide the questions into 200 questions on the given course you had. You'd only have one test at the end of the year. It was an oral test, and they would helpfully tell you there are three things you have to keep in mind. Rarely affirm, never deny, always distinguish. And sorting things out is really the whole art of life because life comes at us unlabeled. And one of the reasons we read scripture every week is to hear our own Lord's own words to sort things out, to hear in the Old Testament of God's work in history, to hear in the Psalms how to praise God, how to be helped in our trouble, our joy and everything, all those different moods are illuminated for us. They sort of rewire our heart for sound, which is often crumbled by our workaday workaholism. And then the epistles, the letters, the Acts of the Apostles too, telling us of the early church, the apostles fanning out into the whole world to make it of a new creation by spreading the good news of the gospel. The uh, issue of the Council of Jerusalem is not limited to that. In 325, people with the, the same set of scriptures, bishop with the same set of scriptures were disagreeing with each other as to whether or not Christ was God. God man or just man? And so Constantine caused the bishops to assemble in Asia Minor in Nicaea in 325. And they discussed and argued and spoke and sorted things out. They came up with a word, they had to use a word that wasn't in scripture. That word homoousios, of one substance, consubstantial. And that's the word that's in our creed today. And that first part of our creed was the one formulated by them at Nicaea. Not to add anything to scripture, but to defend the faith that the church always knew as revealed in scripture to show and interpret aright what it really meant. Because as you know, even the devil has quoted scripture and all of us know people have script, quoted scripture in ways diagonal that aren't true. 
And then in 381, the Council of Constantinople, people were some, some people, quantitation is everything. Some people were saying the Holy Spirit is in God. And so the bishops assembled in Constantinople, Istanbul, right? And there they gave forth the other part of our creed. That gave us the, the remainder of the Nicene Creed that the Anglicans and the Catholics and the Methodists and the Lutherans and the Russian Orthodox and the Greek Orthodox recite together every Sunday in a shared belief. How important for us to allow freedom in non-essentials but to be clear on things that are required. There's a marvelous line that's so lapidary everyone assumed it was written by St. Augustine. I'm not sure if that can be formally proven. I'm not sure if anyone's found the book it's in. But I think if you had intelligent money, you'd probably put it on St. Augustine. It certainly sounds like him. It bats it out of the park in this issue. And it is, in necessaries unitas, in dubiis libertas, in omnibus caritas. Now I know you'll say sometimes here we're too ecumenical, but at the risk of being thought too ecumenical, in case there are any Yaleys here, I think I'll, I'll supply an English translation. Would that be all right? And that would be, in necessary required things, unity, in debatable things, liberty, but in all things, charity. And all of those things have to be the hallmark of the Catholic Church. We have all met people finding something new, something different, something odd, and try to pull people off in that direction. Get people, pull them in this direction or that, into some new, some new craze, some new fashion, some new fad. They pull them to this quarter or to that. And how important instead to work, not to be centrifugal in all our ways, but to be centripetal and to pull people together into the Catholic Church, which is one and holy and Catholic and apostolic. Thanks for listening to Within the Walls of St. Paul's Sunday Homilies. Please be sure to like us on Facebook and consider supporting us by visiting stpaulsharvardsquare.org. That's stpaulsharvardsquare.org. God bless and see you next time.